This is a Main Hustle Media Podcast. It sounds like one of the names they would have for a monarch. It's like Queen Javia the First, Black Radical Queer, Among <laughs> 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 Negro Women. <laughs> All the way from the A, you listen to my favorite lesbian on BRQ. I'm my black girl magic voodoo shit with the bamboo earrings on some new new shit. I'm new when this money asking who this bitch. I'm the bitch with the pussy with the judo grip. <laughs> Hey y'all, this is Javi Nicole, aka your favorite lesbian, and you're listening to Black Radical Queer Podcast, our stories on our own terms. Hey y'all, this is Javi and Nicole. Welcome back to another episode of Black Radical Queer Podcast. You all um, at this point already know how this goes, so I'm going to give my guests the opportunity to introduce themselves, just let us know a little bit of their background, how they identify those types of things, and then we will get into our conversation. Hi, everyone. My name is Lynx Umche, like Mbaku Umche, L-Y-N-X, they, them, theirs pronouns. I'm a Black, non-binary, trans person, queer as fuck, and welcome to my true life episode. <laughs> oh shit so a little bit of well actually I, as i was just thinking about it i really don't know when i started kind of like following links on facebook i just remember they had these posts that really would like resonate with me a lot and um but i i don't even i honestly don't know i knew we had like a lot of mutuals but i don't know maybe from someone sharing your post or something i was just like oh shit like <laughs> I, I just, I don't know. I don't remember when that started or how long it's been, but um, I just know that like I have your posts are like one of the ones I have under C first, just because I already know it's going to be some, some real shit. And um, I always appreciate that. So that's kind of how we got to this. Um, I saw a post that links did that was asking people to like read something that they had written. And um, I was just like, Oh, what's like, um, I didn't know like what it was going to you know be about or anything like that. But I'm just like, yeah, it's something links wrote. I'm going to read that shit. <laughs> like, why not? And I just had no idea what I was in for. I had no idea what I was going to encounter. And I remember like just I don't know. I had to read through it like a few times before I even like responded to the thread just because I was like, damn, it, it kind of hit me in the gut. I was like, this shit is, you know, it's real. And I remember after reading it, the only thing I could say was that I was just like, damn, it's like, it's beautiful, but it's bittersweet. Like it was so beautifully written and so really like poignant, but it was bittersweet as fuck. And so I just was like, come on the podcast and like share some of what you wrote and kind of talk about it. Give us a little bit more information and just let us get to know you a little bit because yeah, it just really left me. I just had a very like visceral reaction to it. And I just, I, I didn't expect it because I didn't know what I, you know, what I was going to be reading. So yeah, y'all will see what I'm talking about basically. So yeah, I'll just turn it over to you. I mean, I feel like many a person has seen or heard or watched unravel the typical kind of coming out story. Somebody is told, hey, this is how you're supposed to be and this is how you're supposed to feel. Life happens and, well, people aren't that predictable. Said change is made aware to everyone. People react antagonistically and suddenly the main character is ostracized. There's a struggle, self-loathing, self-hate, acceptance via vis-a-vis a romance with a white protagonist, if we're talking most mainstream queer movies. 
<laughs> right. But no one really talks about what happens after. I mean, really, like after when the dust settles, when everyone finally realizes oh, you're serious, <gasps> you're actually this. This is what you're actually going to do. This is how you're living your life. And what happens when you make the choice to walk away from certain folks who may not, for lack of a better phrase, agree with your lifestyle? No one can see me, but it's the quotes uh, around agree <laughs> and lifestyle. Uh, I had the cringe eye roll. <laughs> I'm not even going to touch it, but we, we already know what time it is. It's, right. That's a different whole other podcast. That could be its own book series. Yeah, that's, that's going to have to be its own episode. <laughs> oof. Yeah, I just so many different things happen just because I chose to name my existence. Not that I chose to exist, but I chose to name that existence. And this is over a decade after everything unraveled. I came out at 10 and at 24, I'm still helping people come to terms with me coming out 14 years ago. We got a lot of work to do if it takes 14 years to reconcile that someone right. didn't follow a prescribed program for their life or existence. But that's, nonetheless, yeah. no, and that's ridiculous. Like that's that's more than half your life. Yes. Yes, it is. That's a popular topic in my therapy sessions. Um, the fact that I've spent so long, the majority of my life thus far, um, helping everyone else come to terms and there's air quotes all over the sentence come to terms with the fact that i'm serious it's i like to say love isn't your choices love only means as much as the choices you make in the name of it nothing more nothing less and mm. in this experience in my life i've realized that who is supposed to love you who's supposed to be there for you has nothing to do with who is actually there for you. And often those two groups don't overlap. And mm -hmm. if you're really, really, really lucky, you're born into the support system that'll get you through anything in life. For some of us, well, blood ain't exactly thicker than water. Rather, the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. The choices various people made to be honest, be vulnerable, be empathetic, really see me as another person, really step outside of themselves and their fear and whatever the world has told them about people like me and sat with the fact that I'm the same person they've known for whatever part of their life that I've been in a relationship with or in friendship or family with them. And right. oftentimes, especially in the context of people of African descent, Black folks, it's way more complicated than the mainstream, overwhelmingly white narrative makes it out to be. When I was coming out and first having these conversations, I didn't have a Blackbird or a Moonlight or anything like that, or a Janelle Monet or a Kilani to point to and say, there's me. You see me everywhere. Right. I'm over here. Right. I'm over there. I didn't have a openly happy and communicative Queen Latifah in that time. You know, I just had a, you're already Black, why make it harder? Right. Mm, yeah. And 
yeah sorry no, I was just saying, yeah, that's no, I'm just agreeing. I, that was like the uh, my the initial reaction too for me when I came out. Um, yeah, it's like the my my sexuality, my gender presentation, all that kind of stuff is just like, well, damn, you're already black. Like, here's another kind of cross for you to bear, you know, type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was definitely not something that was celebrated by any means. So, yeah, I know I definitely feel that it put this. I've been reflecting because I'm in 2019. I'll be 25 years old. I'm already inching closer and closer to the average life expectancy for transgender people of color, which is was that like 30 or 35? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's like I think it's like 31. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's something it's like I mean, I'm 30 already. So, you know, it's yeah, it's like early 30s. And I'm I'm really sitting with everything that's happened in this first quarter of my life, the start of it, rather. And it seems like so many things, but I'm very ready to add finality to that volume of my life, so to speak. Like if my life is a book series, I'm rounding out and ending a chapter, a volume of my life, the first book of my life, rather. And I want to end it definitively. I don't want any cliffhangers. There is no surprise twist. The surprise twist is I came out <laughs> on the other end of this. Happy. Right. And this letter, this, which is really a text message. I, this is me and my mom texting each other. And this is everything above the line in my piece. Once it's published online, people will be able to see it. But the first, what, four pages of the six page long essay is a copy paste text message mm. I sent to my mother. Oh. Um, yeah, it was, I don't know if that's the world's longest text message or not. I'll, I should probably look that up, but it <laughs> was a your very text. I, like I just set the record. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Some people say you should call somebody and say that, but I'm, this, this was when my mom was at I work. I was kind of at work. I think it's important that you wrote it though. I think it's important that there's always been something very, very meaningful to me about putting shit in writing, put it on paper, um, because I feel like you can say a lot of things. Um, but I'm just the type of person where I'm, I'm like, um, action means a lot to me. And I feel like even putting something on paper is an action. It's, it's kind of like taking it from the verbal, from the from in your mind and you're making something tangible. It becomes something tangible. And so I feel like once it is on paper, it, the implications are different. So I do I think you know, it's very, um, I do think it's, it's significant that you put it on paper as opposed to just calling. Not saying a call would not have been, you know, okay, but it, there's like this memorializing or, um, I don't know, it makes it more concrete. It's like, you're not just hearing me say it, you got to see this shit and you're seeing it and you're, all, you know, of course, when you're reading something kind of from someone, you're reading it in their, if, especially if you are familiar enough with them, you're like hearing it in their voice. Um, so you're, you kind of get that same benefit, but you got to see it in front of you and eat, <laughs> you know, um, I don't know. There's something very powerful to me about that. Yeah, I agree. Um, I wanted to make sure I could go back, reference, have receipts if needed and kind of to the tone of the message. My mom's response, which I didn't include in the essay, um, was favorable. Um, and I really I don't want people to think that uh, my mom is the is the bad guy in the story because it 
couldn't be farther from the truth. Um, and admittedly, it took me a while to really grow out of this honestly childish anger I had towards her for not sticking up for me in the way that at the time I thought that's how you're supposed to show up. So why do, why do you feel like why do you feel like the anger was childish? I think oftentimes we expect black women in particular to bear the weight, the accountability and the responsibility for the actions and subsequent consequences of black men, grown adults, grown men. And I, in my head, thought if she would just say he's being mean or he's wrong, he would stop thinking and doing what he's doing. He wouldn't be doing this or he only does this because my mom allows him to do this. That's not the case. He is a grown man. That's such a prevalent narrative, though. And I didn't even think about it until you just like, you know, I've thought about it before, but not in that context until you just said it like that. That's such a prevalent narrative when um, in situations of abuse and, you know, that kind of stuff, folks are like, well, you know, you should have said something. And, and in some situations, that is the case, especially if like if they knew. Mm-hmm. But um, in other situations, but I get what you're saying about kind of ha- how that that weight is placed on black women. Um, that's real. It's, hmm, that's something interesting to navigate, but my bad continue. <laughs> I mean, no, you're, it's, it's real. It took me some therapy, anger management in particular to really process that out and be able to communicate that. But in truth, I mean, I had my own qualms and issues with my mom at a certain point in time for things that she 110% chose to say or do which are completely different than what my now, how I refer to him, ex-father said and did. Completely different magnitude, time span, impact, motive, all of it. But the thing that makes them completely different, the reason why I even have a relationship with my mom to this day, one, they're completely different people. Two, when I had this conversation with my mom, I said, she said, well, what did you expect me to do? What did you expect me to say? Because she reacted as terribly as you can imagine, short of kicking me out onto the street, blaming me for my mama's death. Um, My grandmother, she kind of raised me for the first part of my life, but died when I was 11. Um, Said she was glad mama died before she could see this. Or is this what sent mama off? Because mama was getting better and me coming out somehow um, made her cancer come back. Uh, Wow. That's a lot to place on a child. That's a lot to place on anybody, but really? Wow. Yeah. You know, needless to say, I I took it to, I took it to heart, hated myself for it based on the outcome of that conversation. And that's just not even everything that was said at the time. And um, like, what was that? Like nine years later, I finally just like said it. I was like, it wasn't okay. What she said to you, like, well, what did you expect me to do? I said, I expected you to be my mother. I expected you to be my mother. You were supposed to be my mother and you were not. You weren't there when I needed you. I needed one person, any person to just be there. And you showed me in that moment that I was completely alone. After I had already lost the one other person in the world I loved, who mothered me, who 
I called her mama before I called my own mother ma. It to bring her into it was unforgivable. She looked at me, turned away, went to the garage for five minutes. I shit you not, five minutes. After five minutes, she came back in and said, you're right. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I was supposed to be there for you. And I wasn't. I was afraid. I was saying all these things get in the way of doing what I was supposed to do. I'm sorry I couldn't be there for you then. I wasn't there for you then, but I want to be there for you now, if you'll let me. The the rhetoric is that um, almost like parents don't have to apologize for things, which really um, infuriates me. And one of the things that I appreciate so much is that, um, I mean, I came out young too. I mean, I wasn't as, as young as you are, but I was like 14 and I'm 30 now. So, you know, kind of similar span of time. Um, and when I first came out, you know, my mom was like, um, you know, she was like, I hope it's a phase, blah, blah, blah. And I was very tomboyish and which had never been a problem until I came out. And then once I came out, I was like, oh, hell no. You know, you can't be looking all butch and all this kind of stuff. Um, but later on, when I was about 19 or 20, my mom came back to me totally unprompted. Like, I don't even know. We were just walking. I still remember we were like walking from the store. This nice summer day, just walking. And um, she was like, you know, I want to apologize to you. And I was just like, for what? You know, because it caught me so off guard. I didn't know what she was referring to. And she was like, you know, for the way that I responded when you came out to me, like, you're my daughter, you know? So she kind of just um, was saying, she was like, you know, of course, I was like, you know, scared and you know, I felt like, of course, you're a black woman. You have all this, you know, you're, you already kind of have a target on your back. And I'm just like, damn, life is going to be so much harder. And that, so, you know, she just kind of shut down. Um, mm-hmm. So in that moment, conversation she, with my mom, <laughs> right? just kind of shut. So at, at that moment, she was like, you know, I really, I just want to apologize to you because that was not fair to you. And it blew me away. And, and the thing is, my mom apologizing was not a new thing. Like that's something I do appreciate over the course of my childhood, if my, like, there have been times when, like, my mom, like, one time she got, like, snappy with me about something. Totally unwarranted. It was just, she was just frustrated. It was hot. She's busy. Single mom, like, carrying all these groceries and shit. Just stuff going on. And she kind of, like, caught an attitude with me uh, about something I said. That was not, she was like, I shouldn't have got, like, nothing. You didn't do anything wrong. I didn't, and this is as a child, so the, her apologizing to, like, my sister and I um, was not an uncommon thing, but it was uncommon when I would compare in comparison to my friends. Like my friends were like, oh, hell no, nah. my mom would never apologize. Like my mom was dead ass yeah. wrong and she never apologized. And I'm like, that was crazy because my mom's like, well, I'm your mother, but I'm human. I'm going to make mistakes. So, you know, y'all just like bear with me. You know, I'm learning just like you're learning. So she would, she always did that, which I like immensely appreciate. But when it came to the, the thing of me coming out, I mean, that kind of took a little longer, <laughs> but she did kind of come back and was just like, I, you know, I apologize. Like, I should not have reacted that way. Here is why, but that still doesn't make it okay. I want to be accountable. And um, so for our mothers to do that, I think it's just, it's very, um, it's just amazing to me. I mean, it's something that should not be a, a an uncommon thing. But um, again, in those situations, it's like, it usually is Black women who, um, who will make those strides, you know? Um, so it's just amazing to me. And when I was reading reading what you wrote and when you got to that part where you were saying okay well you know she 
um, kind of left and came back and her response, because I didn't know, <laughs> you know, I'm reading through the story. I feel like I'm kind of transported into, you know, what you're going through. And I'm just like, I don't know how she's going to respond. Like, is she going to, you know, be like, well, is it going to be argumentative or combative? You know, is it going to be more conflict or what? So it was really that was the sweet part of the bittersweet. <laughs> um, it was really, you know, refreshing to see that her response was, you know, not a negative one. Um, it was still bitter. It was a bittersweet thing because it's like you had went through all this shit. And I was like, God damn, you know, where's the where's is there going to be some sunshine? <laughs> you know, um, this is a struggle bus movie. That's what I call them. This is the Man, struggle bus I'm story. Like, God damn. If, like, can, I'm like, look, I'm just kind of thinking about little links. I'm like, can little links get a fucking break? You're like, y'all wilding in here. <laughs> um, so then once it got to that part, I was like, okay, whew. like I kind of was able to exhale, like, okay, whew, come through mama. Okay. <laughs> like, yes, black women. Thank you. Thank you. Cause it, it was, it was intense. And I know that had to be difficult. Um, but I mean, still not more difficult than all the shit you had already been through, but yeah, that, that was a good turning point. Um, I mean, how, how long that was when you all had that conversation, how long ago was that? almost four years okay wow um yeah it's and it's funny because when all these things happened and things came to a tipping point with my now ex-father we my mom and this is it's like the what led to this conversation in the first place she couldn't understand why i wouldn't just accept his apology quote unquote which never came. He never apologized. Why I wouldn't just call him an X, Y, and Z. I'm like, my a phone works two ways. And on top of that, we're talking about a man who used satellite tracking to find me when I was 10 minutes late to curfew one day. Satellite tracking. He had a satellite image of where I was. Really? Because <laughs> he's such and such, and that's exactly what this video is away. A satellite tracking. That's... Track- that's- Another level of control freak. Like what? Satellite tracking. You, I listed it all out. The drill, emergency drills we had to do as a family. and Those eccentric. But you know what? I could understand being ready, making sure we're ready to go and stuff like that. But fine. But right. nonetheless, if he wants to do something, he's going to do it. He knows that I live in Atlanta. Why do you have to be the person to, to you know, kind of like initiate and this, and this is a grown ass man. This, <laughs> I mean. And I really wish people would treat I mean? him that way. I really wish That's people would treat him man. that but way. But you know how with men, men get to be boys for life. Men get to be boys for life. And so that, I mean, I kind of feel that too. Cause I mean, my, my father wasn't very present, you know, in my life or whatever. Um, and so I really didn't, I didn't care about his opinion. I mean, I, I did come out to him, but I was just like, I don't care what you say. Um, but I mean, it's like that, um, because we didn't have much of a relationship. I mean, my mom never bashed him or anything, but she was just like, she did encourage my sister not to reach out to him. And he was in prison and, um, we would write him occasionally. But then I, I started to notice, I'm like, Hey, if I'm not the person that's, and I'm the oldest, um, I'm like, if I'm not the person that's kind of initiating these, uh, these exchanges, or if I don't keep them going, they don't happen. I'm the child and you're an adult. You're a grown ass man. Why do I have to be the the one in the driver's seat of this relationship when you had a part in creating me? I didn't ask to be here. So why do I have I'm not going to beg you and I'm not going to pull teeth to be a father or to even have some type of um, basic ass relationship with me. And so that's why that's what it makes me think of in terms of, you know, when your mom was like, oh, well, why don't you just, you know, 
It's like, why do you have to be the one to make those concessions? You shouldn't have to, you're the, you know, well, you're an adult now, but I'm saying like, you're the child in the relationship and you shouldn't have to accommodate this grown ass man when this is an adult. <laughs> um, like why you got to be that person? And I don't know if that's petty of me. I don't know. Maybe no. that's childish of me, <laughs> but I mean, um, that pissed me off. I'm just no. like, why? Like it's another thing I learned and realized in therapy and those, the, you know, the homework that your therapist gives you and stuff like that, that'll have you slipping into an existential crisis that you don't get mm-hmm. out of until the next two sessions with your therapist. Have had. Right. Like, damn, why you got me doing all this stuff? <laughs> I learned that he, he is just a very scared and very hurt, very hurt boy. A grown man who has formed a hyper-masculine, toxic identity around the way his father hurt, abandoned, diminished, and disrespected him, his siblings, or my aunts and uncles, and my um, paternal grandmother. I feel like the residual effects of that and the ways in which he learned to be and who he had to be to survive, essentially provide for himself, um, protect himself in the neighborhood he grew up in. And the thing about it is, this is a objectively intelligent man. And I would consistently say, you cannot believe the dribble coming out your mouth right now. You, there's no way you, an intellectual, <laughs> can believe any right. of what this is. I think it makes sense surprised. at all. And it, right. it's you not, just got to be regurgitating shit. <laughs> I'm like, you're afraid. This is fear. And maybe this is a good time to give a excerpt from the essay, but I am done living the shadow of other people's fear. And I feel like that is exactly what so many queer and trans people struggle with or have struggled with or mm-hmm. are trying to overcome. That is, I feel like that's probably one of the top killers of LGBT people. Oh, absolutely. Because our, Particularly black our, LGBT people. It's, right. I mean, our, our identities become this thing that's about other people's perception, other people's fear, as opposed mm-hmm. to just our own individual merits. You get what I'm saying? Like, it, yes. it, it's always framed in the context of homophobia, transphobia. Like, it, it's framed from, like, uh, looking through the, the gaze of outside people. And so then we don't get to be people. And it's very dehumanizing. It's very, and I mean, even in a situation like with your father, you know, I'm like this, we all have those, um, you know, kind of look at like the nature and nurture and like our backgrounds. And I call it context. We all have our context. Um that we that we carry around. And I feel like as a child, you're a child. So you're you don't have the same accountability that you do at the older you get, the more accountability that comes along with that. And so once you're an adult, um, you know, you can have the you as the child, you know, um, or as his child can have the understanding that like, oh, I understand my father went through this, 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 this and this. And it still doesn't absolve him of accountability. It's like, I get all that, you know what I'm saying? And and you're taking all that into consideration. Like you're looking at that bigger picture and it's like, but you still fucked up. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, but it's still not okay. You're still responsible because once we become adults, we become responsible for our own growth and healing. And um, even though we, we didn't choose, we didn't choose our baggage and our context, but we become responsible for it once we are of age. And, um, and at this point you're grown. So he's grown, grown. (laughs) So it's like, you gotta be accountable. And if you're not going to be, 
you have to deal with the consequences of that, which is losing your child, you know? And for me, that's something that's very hard for me to fathom as someone who wants to be a parent. I'm like, ain't no way in hell. I can't fathom being willing to lose my child over my own um, reluctance to grow and to face some shit and to be accountable. Like that's wild to me, but people do it all the time, especially when it comes to queer and trans people, their families do it all the time. Um, and that's the, that's the repercussion um, that they have. It's like you lose your loved one because you're not willing to, to grow and be accountable for your shit. Um, and that's on them. It just, it sucks for the person on the flip side, because now you have this, this queer person, this trans person, this non-binary person who is isolated. Yeah. That's the part that pisses me off because I'm like, this person should not have to um, pay the cost for your foolishness. So um, I'm get off my soapbox. Anyway, <laughs> I mean, um, yeah, yeah. I, I like to say, particularly for black LGBT people and me and my mom had this conversation a few times. It's communities are like a home, right? I like to say the black community is a home when black folks get disrespected and dehumanized every other conceivable space in our society on this planet they have a home to go back to so to speak this black community as black lgbtq people we often are how put this are made to be guests in our own home if that people debate we get to watch people debate if we should be allowed into our own house so to speak. And I frame it that way because that's how ridiculous it sounds. This is my house. And a bunch of people, trying not to cuss, a bunch of people are... You can cuss. <laughs> I'm like, look, we this full of assholes you don't have to, in a circle. Right. I'm like, you don't have to censor yourself. <laughs> of ashiness are sitting around debating <laughs> if I should be allowed in my own house. Yeah, Could you imagine... Bullshit walking into your house and then having a bunch of people in your house talk about whether or not they should allow you into your house. What do you even say to them in that regard? How do you even right. respond? Like, I, me, I laugh. Because that's the type of, I just laugh. I'm like, oh, you're, right. you're joking? Like, what, makes you you think, like, what makes you think this is that you even have the right to make this decision? It's, but... How can you allow somebody into their own house? This is my house too. Right. I pay rent here. I keep this house up. I help build this foundation. I clean. I pour into this house. I pay bills for this house. I protect this house. This is my house. I'm not saying it's just my house, but I damn sure don't need to ask nobody to be allowed into it because this is my house too. Contrary to what anybody else in this house thinks, in my house thinks, this is my house. And I feel as if the allowances, we can have some form of a refuge in this world. The allowances we make to particularly our cishet counterpart are endless. So many allowances. We're pouring and giving them water from a cup that has been empty for a long time. And I feel like mm -hmm. it's past due that we tell them the truth. Like how people say, you can't tell white folks the truth. And I hate that analogy that like black cishet people or the white people, the like me, I, I stay away from that. It's, it's messy. Black people mm -hmm. aren't the white people of anything. That's the whole point of being black. Right. <laughs> what I will say in this maybe how my mom and my ex-father have reacted is an allegory for it. We have choices. And people will say you don't hold or no one holds white people accountable for their homophobia like they um, chastise and vilify um, 
black people or black cishet people for their homophobia or transphobia. Um, and we saw a lot of this in the recent, like Kevin Hart, um, what's his name, D.L. Hughley and mm-hmm. or whatever that happened. What was that last week? I can't keep up. Um, right. It's always something. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like it's, I feel like, I feel like it's, we have a choice and I do expect more from other black folks. I expect white people to be white. I expect them to have white privilege. I expect them to do white nonsensical shit. I expect them (laughs) to act on or make allowances or excuses for white supremacy. They're white. That's their playbook. That's their MO. I know that. But I do hold us to a higher standard. Why? Because we are capable of more should we choose to do so. And we may not be able to control the world and how the world treats us as black folks or what the world is saying is normal. And to be frank, particularly in white supremacy, we've never been able to control what the dominant culture says is normal. I'm not asking for that. And I feel like people are saying, asking, people are feeling as if, oh, you're asking me to change how the world works. or you're asking me to write a new norm. I'm just following it. Why are you mad at me? This is whatever. Everyone says it's normal. Mm, We are not everyone. (laughs) We are not everyone. We don't control the dominant culture, but you damn sure got to say in your family. We got to say in our houses. We got to say in our community spaces. If you choose to speak. Right. And you get it to perpetuate. Like, I don't I don't even know if that's hmm. I mean, I, I feel similarly. I won't say that I that it's necessarily a higher standard. It's just I, I don't I don't like when people make that comparison to like, well, white people, because it's just like it's so different. Um, so I can't even say like, oh, I hope black people to a higher standard. It's just my standard. I don't have I, I hope my whole black people to I hold, you know, black people to a standard of like, you know, be have that willingness to grow, have that flexibility, have that, you know, that type of thing. Um I just don't hold any standard for white people. I mean, if I'm being honest, I don't I don't factor them in in the way that I factor in black people. I just don't. So I can't even say I'm holding I hold black people to a higher standard because it's like I just don't I'm like I don't have any expectation from white people. Um I expect them to be mediocre. White mediocrity is like a low standard already. Right. But it's like when I look at the landscape of my life. Um, I don't really, I don't worry about white people because they are so, they're like a blip in terms of like my intimate, like my actual day-to-day life um, versus black people. I'm like, you know, I know that everyone's in different places with kind of like their relationship to white supremacy and how ingrained this shit is and how it's like generation after generation. Um, So I've just had to make the decision to prioritize myself. Like I can't, um, control you or make you like you know get your mind right or whatever that's fine but I also don't have to deal with you um I just don't I already choose not to deal with white folks so I don't go through the same process I guess I mean I guess that's why I don't really have like I can't say it's like a standard because I'm like I don't don't need to deal with you (laughs) like I I mean I feel like the standard of whiteness is just being mediocre right so that's the lowest bar you can possibly set for how a human being should engage with other human beings. (laughs) But so everything, every expectation, every, like, I know we're capable of this. I know we can do this. I know we can do this if we put our minds to it, if we choose to do it. I know we can work it out. Everything is, like, way higher. Like, imagine the standard for white folks is, like, the floor. And... (laughs) Everything yeah, else it above it is like, like all the possibilities the of black folks. It's like basement. <laughs> yeah, everything else is like, oh, everybody else, you know, has the potential to at least be in the attic and, you know, white folks in the basement. To be frank, I feel like I don't have 
are particularly the youth that are watching me, maybe not directly, maybe not every single minute, but there is always, without fail, somebody younger than me, some child, my reaction as a mirror that could either be a window into the possibilities of what they could have or a reflection of the crap storm that they already know life to be, you know? Mm. And the Mm -hmm. difference is in how I choose to engage or address the situation. And like you were saying, most of my engagement is with Black folks, um, specifically um, Black and Brown people in particular. And I can't afford to, how can I put this, extend any more allowances. I can't afford to wait patiently while folks catch up because these babies can't afford it. And when people say protect black babies, I know for a fact they are never talking about kids like me. And I always say that to people. (laughs) When we're talking about these things, when you're talking about protect black babies, nobody protected my little ass. Not a single solitary soul. All we had was the other gay ass kids in the class and we just huddled up in a group and just (laughs) said we're going to survive. Our our own support, our own like safety net is is why I'm, I'm so big on like chosen family because we've always had to curate that from a young age. I mean, I'm grateful that I do, you know, I have the people that I have in terms of my blood family, um, the ones who, you know, rock with me or whatever. But in general, like we always, especially during that time that was very, very isolating, we've always had to curate our own little family, whether it's like our friend group, you know, or whoever it is um, in school or at work or whatever. We've always had to do that. Um, yeah. I, mean, I, I don't like using the phrase chosen family because I feel like I feel like it's a it's a disrespect. It's like an affront to just everything and how my experience has been with family, like with no qualifier. This is family. They're family without question. Those mm-hmm. folks that, that I share DNA with sometimes <laughs> my family are blood relatives also. But right. family in particular, family is family is family without question without fail. And I don't even think I chose them per se. It was more so they were family because they chose to act in the form of unconditional love. That wasn't even a choice I made for them. That is something they chose to do. I chose to receive it and I chose to reciprocate if we want to talk about like choices and things like that. But I feel like sometimes when chosen family is used, it it kind of has like dismissive implications like, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, any, anybody can pick the people that they like and just call them family. And they assume that's right. what I'm talking about. But no, right. I'm the I way think- you talk about like, oh, who's on my emergency contact? Who right. do I leave my kids with if I and their right. co-parent just die? Like, these are the people I'm right. having that's these conversations the with. They have my I eulogy. I already that's... wrote it out. They have the instructions for my funeral and how I want to be buried. Like, I even I mean, give them sec- sunken place instructions. Like, this is how you <laughs> identify if I'm in the sunken place somewhere. I I need you to remember this, okay? Because if you see me eating some mustard with some tilapia, point. I, I definitely agree with the sentiment. I think I'm I'm someone who is very much um, being deliberate is important to me. So when I for me, when I say like chosen family, um, it is definitely a choice. It is a reciprocal like this is a deliberate thing that we did, whether they're blood or not. 
like um my my chosen family includes some of my um blood family um and uh, sometimes i'll say traditional and non-traditional traditional being you know my blood family and non-traditional being the folks who um you know we don't share dna but we do we are family but um i will say like my chosen family just because it it has been a deliberate reciprocal there's a certain way that we've decided to show up for one another um whether we're blood or not there's a certain way that we've decided to be present in one another's lives um as opposed to being passive because it's not a passive um so for some people they're like oh well we're related and a lot of times your blood family it is a very passive connection it's like we're connected because of blood and there's no there's nothing active about it it's not like you're putting in work it's just like well that's just my cousin and like there's some type of entitlement or obligation or whatever, strictly be off, strictly off the basis of blood versus it being, hey, we are making a we're making a mutually reciprocal type of, you know, decision that this is how we're going to show up in one another's lives, um, which is so that's been it's been very, very impactful for me um, because the people who are in my life, who I consider my family, always oh, definitely been a choice. It's been like them, us choosing each other. And even I say that about my wife, like our mantra is we choose each other daily. It's it, it's a deliberate, active um, thing. And so when I talk to people about it, I explain it to them like that because I'm like, it's not, I don't mean, and some people do mean like what you're saying, like uh, with chosen, they do mean it in like a, um, like it's less than, you know, but for me, I'm like, no, motherfucker, this is deliberate. <laughs> like, no, we chose. So we're making this active daily effort to be family for one another. And it's not um, something we take for granted. It's not something we feel like, oh, this is automatic automatic because of blood. Oh, this is automatic because of time that we've known each other. No, it's because of how we show up for one another. Um, but I do, but I agree because a lot of times people, it is kind of a dismissive thing. Like, oh, like another way of saying friends. <laughs> I feel like it's kind of people use it interchangeably, like as a synonym for friends. And I'm like, well, no, let me tell you, it's, you know, it's more than that. I, I agree. I feel like, and this is another kind of conversation I had with my mom, her watching my ex-father just say these things to me and the text messages and FaceTime me and said these things to my face, so to speak, and just pretty much like disowned me in the longest, honestly, ashy soliloquy you can imagine. Um, And she was just like, I can't, I mean, when I, when I deal with these things in the world as a black woman, I have my family to come back to and they treat me as the person that I am as a full person. Mm -hmm. But I can't imagine having to deal with that and how the world treats you every single day and having nobody to go back to at the end of it. No place Mm -hmm. to call home. Yeah, that's being homeless. And this is something she said. This is something that from looking and watching and us being out in like the store or Macy's or, you know, walking down the street or even my college graduation, watching people go from dismissing and talking down to me to recoiling away from me. Like, I never really saw my mom want to like get buck and like hit somebody before really until that day when she watched that woman like snatch her kid from high-fiving me and like recoiled and gave the child hand sanitizer after touching me. 
Oh, hell no. <laughs> she, she literally was taking off her earrings. The west side of Detroit came out heavy. Like, I like to call her bad and want to be bougie so, sometimes. <laughs> but, oh, it came out. Oh, it was like watching Don Lemon pop code switching and bust out his teeny weeny afro and start clapping on TV. Like, that's the level I... of, like, the switch. Like, usually he's real cool, calm, collected. We'll talk about it in a different form, but right then and there, she was like, how dare those people talk to you? Like, why would they treat you? Now, X, Y, and Z. And then while she was saying it, she looked at my face. I was like, my dear, it's fine. I, it happens all the time. It just ignore them. And she just stopped talking, and she looked around at all the other people who were pointing at me because, okay, <laughs> full transparency, I don't really rep them like that, but I am a graduate of Spelman College. Um, I was out as a trans person when I was at Spelman College. Um, This was, yeah, I graduated in 2016. So this was from 2012 to 2016. And it was, it was a lot, you know, we're required to wear the dress and the stockings and the heels with the like makeup and oh you have no idea i haven't even talked about orientation that's a whole other podcast episode i can right i can fill out i mean i went to women's i went to a women's college and um yeah that's a whole (laughs) yeah it's yeah but needless to say i walked into graduation in my white tuxedo vest and the shirt and i had the white pants with the old (laughs) black man crease down the middle y'all know what i'm talking about if you really for the culture that sharp the hard that sharp crease got that starch (laughs) yes oh yeah in use that day i had like the shoes my little like michael kors little oxfords like you know i kind of like splurged on them at all i'm here for this book though come on (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and I I never really wanted to take my picture before, you know, gender dysphoria, body things, the hyperpigmentation on my face, you know, mm. scalps rising. You know, take your pick. I, I never really liked really looking in the mirror, let alone being photographed. Until that day, I asked my mom for like an hour, hey, take another picture, take another picture. Ooh, let me dab in this one. This was before white people got to dab it. Like, let me dab in this one. <laughs> X, Y, and Z, I want to do this. Wait, let me get a pose. Wait, let me do the TLC thing. Like, I was just taking all these pictures, X, Y, and Z, and seeing all the people just point. Um, People, the lady recoiled. Like, my mom had seen that people were staring. Like, why are people staring? X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, Ma, they're, they're looking at me. Just pay them no no mind. And she couldn't understand why they couldn't see that I was happy. I mean, she saw that I was happy, but she was most offended and upset that they were kind of ruining a very happy moment for me. Um, And it was like, I don't know, it was like in the movies when the kid, the young black kid comes home from school one day and he's like, hey y'all, what's an N-word? And everyone gets real quiet and they realize they got to have that type of conversation with their child about how the Mm -hmm. world works. That's how Mm -hmm. I kind of felt with my mom in that moment. Like she was just now really seeing what I deal with on a day to day. And it's like she looked at me and the look that she gave me, the sadness in her eyes, she was angry. She was sad. It was it was like a perfect mix. She it's like she got it, you know, in that right. moment. Like the whole drama of even buying what I was wearing to graduation. They wouldn't even serve me in the Macy's at um was it in the Macy's that I was in looking for. Oh. 
you know, my graduation attire. And I was with my mom and I was like, where are the 38 longs? X, Y, and Z. I need these fans. They're like, oh, well, make sure you bring in your brother for who they're for and stuff. I'm like, no, they're for me. I know I'm a 38 long. He's like, well, your section is over there. And I'm going to the women's section and wow. talk to me in the thing. And I was like, well, why is she talking man. to you like that? Like, you didn't ask her for all that. You asked her where the 38 walls was. I'm like, mom, fine. We just going to go there. They pointed. They followed us throughout the store, pointed and whispered and got their other co-workers and were pointing at me. Like, I was coming out of the dressing room showing my mom what the, you know, what my outfit was looking like and stuff. And she saw that I was looking in the mirror, smiling. I was happy. But she couldn't help but look around. And she was wondering, like, why are are these people doing this? And in that fast forward, like a few months later to the graduation, you know what I'm saying? You know how you were talking about, um, you know, having that fear of like, how's my child going to be, you know, like treated by the world and stuff like that. That's it's like that manifesting before her eyes. Like I'm seeing these motherfuckers like it's a fucking problem. You know, I'm ready to start up because they're, you know, is that coming to fruition that, you know, kind of having to really face that fear. Yeah. This is the woman who had to pay me to take a picture, literally bribe me. They're like, all right, I got concert <laughs> tickets to the Slick Rick and Salt and Pepper concert. These are yours. <laughs> if just I can take, take as many picture. pictures as I want. Like, you got a bargain. You have to smile. Negotiating with you to take a damn picture. <laughs> literally, I've, I've received cash payments and everything, like a cash payment. Like, listen, if you just take this picture, you get $20 for you. Just take the picture, smile, and for the love of God, do not make that cross-eyed, like, tongue-out face that you be making all the pictures. It, I don't know. It just... I was used to it, but it was like I had to explain kind of ironically to my mom, this is how the world works. Um, This is what you're going to run into. This is what you're going to see. And I don't know. It's like the way she was able to really empathize, you know, and the fact that she was able to look me in the face and say she did something wrong, but she wants to make it better. The standard that she set, I tell her all the time, you are the reason why I will never say that I will never reconcile, quote unquote, I will never try to have some form of relationship. I will never make allowances or excuses for that man, because you are what a parent is supposed to be doing. That's this is this is the standard for being a parent. You said you set the bar high. You said she set the bar high. (laughs) Yeah. And I told her that. And she's like, well, you know, you know, we're different people. I'm like, exactly. You are different people. You're my parent. And he's some he's the first bigot I ever met. It wasn't a cop. It wasn't some white person being shocked that I knew how to read because that happened a lot later in life. But don't get me started on that. (laughs) You know, we got like five other episodes just out of this conversation alone because if I you're so articulate. (laughs) <laughs> no, literally oh. people saying, how do you know how to read? Right. <laughs> like, for real. That's real shit. No. Mm, yeah, I won't even go there. I've been reading since I was three. Straight up. I don't really... I finished the entire youth section in our neighborhood library in about a year. The entire youth section before I was even in high school. This was this right. this was like seventh grade. In sixth grade, I finished the entire youth section, hundreds of books, right. and I just Don't left the library. Started. Like, all right, y'all, it's been great getting to know you, but right. you know, I'm it's not coming back cool. anymore. And they're like, "Why are you leaving?" I was like, "Well, I finished all the books for youth, so guess I can't read anything else here." They're like, you know, we got an upstairs, right? You can go up there and put. I'm like, there are right. books upstairs. Everything, and put my hands on, like. 
It was crazy. I mean, my mom had summer reading for us. <laughs> like, you know how school would do summer reading? Like, before I ever True. encountered that school, my mom did summer reading for us. So I was reading. It was stuff that we read in school. Like, I remember Invisible Man. I read Invisible Man in elementary school. My mom was like, oh, yeah, so you're going to read this? I'm like, oh, my gosh. So to have somebody respond to you like, oh, you can read. Like, yeah, I've gotten that shit before, too. Like, you don't get the fuck out of my face. Um, Every time my mom got paid, she would take me and my brother to, um, well, Borders, what used to be Borders. Now it's Barnes and Noble. Damn, I feel old. Right. Take oh, us to man, Borders. I miss Borders. And we each got to get one book every single time she got paid. And it got to a point where I was like, I want these books. And it was like six books in my head. She was like, I know you lying. <laughs> one book. You know what? We going to take you to a place where you can get as many books you want. Oh, okay. Right. I didn't even know you didn't have to pay for books at the library at one point. I went up there and I was like, all right, how much for these? The little white woman was right. like, what? <laughs> I'm like, how much? Right. Like, baby, you don't have to pay. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's free. No, I was like, I, same yeah, word. I we went to the library every weekend. Like, we would walk because I lived in downtown Atlanta. We would walk to Atlanta Public, Atlanta Fulton Public Library and just read. Just every, I mean, I would have so many books. It would be yep. so ridiculous. I'm carrying a little stack of books. I can't even see over the stack. And all of us have our little stacks. My mom, my grandma. Like Matilda <laughs> with the little. Legit. I have our little stacks of books. They're all of us just like, and I'll be so happy. That would make me so happy. Like more than I didn't want to go do a bunch of crazy stuff. I'll be so excited to skip my little ass to the library and leave with a bunch of books and get home and just be surrounded by books and just read. I was in the library, but. I was definitely doing the the crazy shit too, dropping cherry bombs in the sewer and Lord. <laughs> that's that's I would be literally at parties like house parties. I would be in the middle of a cipher reading books and stuff, and people Yo. like, nigga, are you? Are you having book club out here at the hey, house party? <laughs> I, I get I out I so do. many times for reading. Like folks, we did like a little house party thing, and folks were dancing, and they're like, "What the hell?" I'm in the corner reading a book. I'm like, "Let me live my life." <laughs> I was in the corner reading. Like, leave me alone. They just like this motherfucker. Like, you lame. I'm like, okay, I got called lame so much. Mm. I'm like, I'd rather read. Leave me alone. <laughs> people, people came up to me. It's just, I don't know. This is a tangent. <laughs> right. Tangent, but nonetheless, I I feel like I feel like being seen as a whole person, it's it's so easy. People are like two steps. I always say that. Like you two steps. I'm two steps from popping off. People are two steps from getting their head out of their ass. <laughs> two steps. And I feel like the literal best advice I can give to anybody, because people are always asking, especially um, a lot of like newer perspective parents, like black parents in particular, will message me um, after reading a lot of the um, you can't control how the world and the dominant culture is set up. You have no control over that. But what is in your control is your family your home, your community spaces, that's that's something you have agency in. That's something you have autonomy there. And you're just going to have to accept that there are going to be a lot of things that your child is going to have to deal with if they are a like, LGBT person, especially a Black LGBT person, that you just are not going to be able to understand because you've never been there yourself. But that doesn't mean you can't prepare them by giving them a strong foundation of love, of autonomy, of agency, self-esteem. That's that's real important. That is literally an invaluable gift you can give to any Black 
queer, trans child, the fact that they are worthy, the fact that they deserve every single blessing that they could possibly receive, that making sure you have a child that isn't afraid to look in the mirror and smile, who can look in the mirror and smile. It's <sighs> these are things that are so simple, but it's like what you were saying between you and your wife. It's a choice that you make every single day, every day, every little minute, every little bit of it is important. And it doesn't have to be this big gesture. No one's expecting you to know all the words and the terms and the lingo because my mom doesn't know all the terms and stuff. And I'm Right. I actively discourage her from Googling unsupervised is what I call it because some of the places she <laughs> runs into on the internet. <laughs> so you can't trust all those sources. So. That's why I, some of the things she'll say or ask me and I'm like, where did you hear that? Who have you been talking to? Well, <laughs> well, I, was, I was on Urban Dictionary and I'm like, <laughs> what? I was on Reddit and... Man, um, that's already a red flag. <laughs> no, I just, no one's expecting you to know all the terms and things like that. And it's never been about knowing all the terms, but it has been about applying the same rules, respect that you extend to everyone else, to these mm -hmm. folks too, to your child too. Don't call nobody out their name. That's black folks rule number one. Don't call nobody oh. out their name. That's fighting words. You know, don't put somebody's government name on blast. Like, especially if that's not what they go by. They go by the name that they mm -hmm. just told you. You don't just bust out with somebody's government name and the situation. Mm -hmm. Like, people will get tight about that. Same, same with us. You know, don't start none, won't be none. Same with us. Don't let your Real mouth write a check that your ass can't cash. Right. Same with Run us. Shut up. <laughs> We're not writing on new rules. I feel like that's what people think. People have created this dissonance from individuals who have been living, existing, and struggling literally right next to them. But I like to call it like a glass closet, so to speak. It's a glass closet. Everyone can That's see real. that we're in there. We can see that we're in there. But the people outside of that glass closet, which we never really, I feel like, 100% go into the glass closet of our own volition. It's always we're inadvertently being pushed or moved around like a chess piece in and out of mm -hmm. that glass closet. It's like, how can you act as if someone who's been living and existing right next to you is somehow not or it just wasn't there? No, we're not new. None of us. None of this it's, is new. Knock, knock. You've been seeing me, yo. It's it's like fabricated. This, you know what I mean? It's like y'all making yes. y'all where there really should be none because this is like nothing is new under the sun. This this nope. we've been here. You know what I mean? So why are you on some other shit? Like I told a room full of like you know, I hate when people try to kick it like um like queerness or transness or being non-binary and they try to kick it like this is new. Like, oh, the kids these days are no motherfucker, this is not new. <laughs> I told a support group of um, what is it? They're like 50 plus uh, black LGBT people. So everyone in there is a black LGBT person, 50 years of age or older. I told them that, right? That somebody said this just started with Obama and XYZ. I just read some post from Facebook. They all were silent for like 10 seconds and burst out laughing for five minutes straight. One woman was just on the floor in the fetal position in tears. You know how extra black folks can mean when it's something is funny like, like have you seen um it's like a, a post that's been circulating about um like this article talking about trans elders um it's just showing it's showing trans people and it was it was like 
I think it was only trans people of color. Only ones I saw were like trans people of color, but that were like in their 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. Oh God, just beautiful. And I'm just like, but but this is supposed to be the new shit, right? <laughs> this is supposed to be new? Oh, okay. And after they finally stopped laughing, they were like, well, I guess my 70s didn't happen. I guess the 80s were just <laughs> imaginary to me and X, Y, and Z. And I was like, I wish I would have recorded it. I'm like, can y'all just do that again so I can record it when people oh, say, that's, that's and I can it. just show y'all? We out here. We out like, here, bruh. <laughs> it's like I new. Mean, it's, it's just, it's, it's wild. But at the end of the day, I can't force somebody to make a choice that they don't want to make. And my existence, my happiness, my livelihood is not dependent on the choice that they make. It's not dependent on whether or not they choose to accept or are able to comprehend my existence. What I do depend on, though, what is relevant to me is if, is if they're in my way, to be blunt. Like, if you're in my way, if you're blocking with your ignorance, if you block in my path with your ignorance or your nonsense or your dissonance or your fear, you know what I'm saying? Then we got a problem. (laughs) You know, you want to work through that? Step to the side. Step to the side. Now, you got a few options. You can step to the side. I can move around you if all your fears and stuff isn't completely blocking the path. Or I'm going to have to move through you now. Hey. I know we all black folks. For people, I'm just saying. This is (laughs) something I've looked people in the eye and told them, like, look, I don't want to do this to you, but I swear to you, I will move through your black ass and sleep soundly because your black life ain't finna matter at the expense of mine. And that is the truth on my mama. (laughs) <laughs> y'all's lives ain't finna matter at the expense of mine. You can believe that. <laughs> like, right, because the time for talking is done. Looking, like it's a hierarchy or something like, oh, well, my, no, like, are we gonna really be about this Black Lives Matter life for real, for real? Or are you like, some matter and some matter more than others and there's like this list is, I'm not with it. Like, please believe. I'm not I wouldn't do the ludicrous voice. Move, nigga. Exactly. Get out the way. Exactly. I'm not one. Because <laughs> if you think that's how it's going down, you're gonna be Sadly mistaken. Like you gonna get your feelings hurt because I'm not. I can't. Like, and I. The more the older I'm getting, the more like radical I'm becoming, and the more unapologetic I'm becoming about that. Where I'm just like, mm-hmm. um, I'm not. I'm not with it. Like you can. Like I'm all for. I'm all for black people. I'm all for liberation of black people and stuff like that. But please Why do we believe. not have that disclaimer though? Of course I'm right. for myself. Like, right. I'm you know what I'm saying? I'm like, not, where did that get lost in the sauce in this ashiness? But it's like, you're not about to, <laughs> not about to kick it like, like I matter less because, uh, because I don't fit, you know what I'm saying, to this neat little box or whatever. Like, that's going to be a no. And I think, and, and so to... Then give to me my ancestors back. back. Don't quote no James Baldwin. Right. Give me my Alice Walker. <laughs> All folks, these little, you know, like, front lines. Womanists or whatever can hand me that. We're the ones who be on the front line, so... You know, give me my Zora Neale Hurston. Hello? Give me all of that. Give me my my Prince. Give me my Grace Jones. Uh, (laughs) Like, (laughs) let me have taking all I should. Reclaiming my people. You (laughs) know what I'm saying? (laughs) People want to act brand new. I can be fresh out the box right there with you. Right. Like, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? Not what you want to do, but if this is how you want to kick it, like, we can go there. I always try to tell people, I'm like, don't don't try to take it to that place. I promise you I can take it further. I guarantee you. (laughs) You want to run, I'm going to sprint. Like, let's do it. That's what you want to do. I mean, but you know, I feel as if I feel like I have a responsibility to be the adult I needed as a child. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
I, who did I need? Who would I have looked up to? Who did I need as a mentor? Who did I need as mm-hmm. a guardian? Who, who did I need? Who would I want to be? Who would I look up to? Who is that? And that's what I try to do in my life and what I'm trying to do like right now. Links out there who, who needs that. You know, it's like when I was talking to um, yep. Chris on my previous episode and he was saying, oh, you know, about like the young trans kid who was like, you know, the, the parent who reached out to him and was like, you know, my child is trans and black. And I'm just like, it, it, it's out, you know, what I'm saying like we're out there like we're, you know, of course we're not new. So we have the people who came before us. And then but the reality is at this age now, we're that for the next the up and coming like kids. We're, we're those yep. who they have to look to where they're like, hey, I'm visible. This is an example of how I can be visible. And I think one of the most important things we can do, which you are absolutely doing and which your what you wrote um, is a prime example of that, um, is that we have to be very unapologetic and very deliberate and adamant about how we choose to live our lives and like who we allow um, to be close to us and what we allow, what we will and will not um, accommodate, what we will and will and will not, like like you said, make allowances for. And um, so us making those decisions is so, it really is revolutionary in a time where we're expected to just take whatever, lay down and take whatever. And so I think that um, I want to, I want to wrap up with you still reading your excerpt because I think this is a prime example. You had the relationship you have with your mom and a conversation you were able to have with your mom versus you saying, okay, well, this person who was my, you know, who I may, may have been born, born into him being my father. Um, I'm is no longer that this is formerly, you know, formerly my father, my ex-father, because if you're not going to do what the fuck you're supposed to do to have that place in my life, you don't get to just automatically have it. That's that's revolutionary to do when we're supposed to just accept anything. That's that's some radical yeah. shit to do. Um, and so I think that those coming up behind us need to see that, need to see us making those choices that we don't have to just sit down and take whatever. I can make the decision that, okay, well, my you know, my mom is working with me. My mom was the one who came back and was like, hey, I'm going to apologize. I'm going to expand. But my father w- didn't do that. I don't have to take that shit. You don't get to be a part of my life and a part of all this great shit I got going on if you're toxic. And I think it's so important. That's such an important thing for kids and adults to know. We have to know that we don't have to take just anything. I I tell I talk to my friends about that all the time. I'm like, you won't have to take that shit. You're fucking magic. Like we got a whole bunch of good shit going on. You don't have to just accept anything from anybody in the name of blood or in the name of whatever. Like, no. Mm-mm. And so I think the decision that you made and how you expressed it and how you explained it to your mom is a perfect example of that. Perfect example of that. Getting into the excerpt, the name of the essay is called For Queer Trans Folks Who Had to Leave Bigots That Called Themselves Family by myself, Ling Sum Che. Um, the first four pages are a message, I, a text message I sent to my mom uh, a couple of weeks ago. And I'm going to read an excerpt that I did not, this was not a part of the original text message. But Uh (laughs) it's everything after the bottom line, rather. It's the last two pages. Okay. Um, So I love you so much, Ma. I promise I do. But loving myself also means not settling for less than what I'm worth. You taught me that even when I didn't want to hear it. You were right. I am worth it. I said the same thing to my biological father. To my mom in November 2016, I was 21, about how when I first came out at 10 years old, the thing she said to me 
tantamount among them being thankful that my mama, my maternal grandmother, who also raised me, died before she could see the thing I'd become, were hurtful, and that when I needed her to be there for me, she wasn't. She said, what did you expect me to do? I screamed at her. I expected you to be my mother. She fell silent, turned her head, and left into the garage. Five minutes later, she came back, walked up to me, looked me in the eye, and said, you're right. I should have been there for you, and I wasn't. What I did was unforgivable, and I'm so sorry. I'm not going to get everything, but I promise I'm going to try. I'm sorry that I wasn't there for you when you needed me, but I want to be there for you now, if you'll let me. Now, my mom and I have never been hyper-affectionate. In fact, we sometimes joke about how extra folks can be, but that day, she hugged me tight. I had to accept that I'll never get that from my biological father. I didn't lose anyone, though it may seem like I did. I have family, biological and chosen. I am loved. I know what it means to be family, no matter what. In that moment, I truly understood what being a parent meant. And that man was never a parent. No matter how troubled or tumultuous our relationship got, my ma, I call her love bug, is the best example of unconditional love that I've ever known. As I write this, I remember the times where the way she showed her love confounded me. She joked about how I was tap dancing on her last good nerve. We'd prank each other and go on adventures, getting in the car and just stopping wherever. That often went awry. Heated debates about everything from Prince versus Michael Jackson to being Black in America to who should have won on Project Runway. As a child, she pulled me to the side and say, you know, I'll always be there for you, right? No matter what, I'm here. There are quite a few things that my mom doesn't get, quote unquote, about me. But on a deep level, she sees and understands even when she doesn't get it firsthand. To the kids or adults going through it in their own way, I want to say you're worth it. Life is never perfect and often won't be easy, but you deserve life and all that comes with it. It may not come today or next month, but the possibility of life is always there. It's not impossible because you are living and reading this right now. Your existence isn't impossible. It's irrefutable and moreover, necessary. I'm trying to snap <laughs> in the mic. <sighs> yeah. I think um, what I wanted to point out before we like do any like plugging or like uh, social media stuff, I really, really, really wanted to start out um, the new year because this is going to be the first episode of 2019. What? what? <laughs> I deliberately wanted to start with you and wanted to start with this because I think it really sets a tone for how I hope that um, a lot of us can kind of proceed into the into the next year and being unapologetic, making those um, sometimes hard choices for ourselves. Um, but making them for ourselves. And I talk about this a lot on the podcast and I talk about it, you know, for myself and just being deliberate and kind of, um, and being unapologetic about, you know, putting myself first. But I felt like this was a prime example of like the nuance of that, of doing that and how it can play out 
you know, positively with your mother and how it can play out differently with your father and and still how you navigated that after the fact. You know, it's like, okay, well, instead of I'm not going to go back and forth with him, I'm not going to do this and a third, like I'm going to make this decision for myself. And so I think it's a very, um, a very powerful sentiment um, and something to go into the year with because we do, um, it's our right to be kind of in control of our identities and in control of our lives and ourselves and to make those decisions for ourselves and not have to apologize for them and not feel like we have to, we always have to be the ones to be like clay and kind of bend and mold around other people's shit and their fears and their, and their bullshit. Like we don't have to do that. And um, so that was really, after reading what you wrote, I immediately was like, this is what I want to have as my, as the first episode, because I planned to do something different. <laughs> um, but I was like, nah, the scratch that, if Lynx is willing to be, you know, if they're willing to be um, on the podcast, then this is what I want to do, um, because I just want us to carry that, carry that um, throughout the year and just in general, that that we do have that um, agency is so important. And we're told we're bombarded with shit um, that suggests otherwise. But I want, you know, for all my black queer folks, you know, black LGBT folks, especially, um, you know, my black trans folks, black queer women all the kind of stuff like I want for us to uh, always remember that. I don't want us to lose sight of that. So, all right. So blah, blah, blah. I'm done with that. So um, y'all already know how I do. So before we unwrap up, I just want to see if you had any like social media, social media uh, handles or stuff that you want to share or like where can people, if they, if they want to read, like, is it possible for folks to like read the whole letter or those kind of things? The essay is not, published online at the moment. Um, I'm shopping it around, pitching it to different publications. Uh, shameless plug, <laughs> publish the kid, you know, instead of just talking about trans people, have an actual trans person talk. Mm-hmm. Message. But <laughs> anyway. <laughs> oh. oh, man. I Yeah, it's not published online right now, but you can follow me on social media. I'm blurred senpai. It was clever at the time. Don't don't judge me. I'm blurred senpai on Twitter. <laughs> no judgment. B L. You might have to spell it. Yeah. B L E R D S as in Sally. E as in Edward. N as in Nancy. P as in Peter. A as in Apple. I as in Iverson. Blurred senpai. Okay. On Twitter. And I'm L M as in Mary. C as in Charlie. Seven two four on Instagram. Um, those are the best places to kind of find me since I don't really post on Facebook anymore on my own personal page, rather, uh, Instagram or Twitter are the best places to reach out. I also am a freelance web designer and graphic designer. So shameless plug. I have some articles, some op-eds published online already, um, just Google my name and those will come up. Talked about the infamous um, decolonizing beef, the infamous Mm -hmm. Umar versus General Seti beef about who was quote unquote king consciousness. See, Mm -hmm. before it was who's the king of R&B, before that debate, it was who is King Hotep. Hotep King. (laughs) (laughs) Because there's ranks and and mages and generals and princes. Yeah, for real. It's it's like... It's like Dungeons and Dragons. Thank um, you for having me like, on here, though. Thank you. It was, it was, no, it was definitely awesome. Um, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad that I, you know, we were able to coordinate. Um, I'll make sure, as you all know, um, I'll include Lynx's info in um, 
the show notes. So like social media um, handles and stuff like that. Try to keep up with them to see what they got going on. Be all up in their business, you know, uh, slide in the DMs and give them some coins. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, yeah, let's do that. I feel like somebody's watching me. <laughs> well, let's do that. Let's run the coins. Um, so, yeah, thank you all for tuning in. Uh, happy New Year because, you know, first episode 2019. And um, that's it. Y'all, I mean, this this is what we do. So I'm out until next time. Bye, y'all. Black Radical Queer Podcast is all about intersectionality and Black queer folks sharing our stories on our own terms. We navigate an array of identities and BRQ is an outlet where we can see the spectrum of those identities reflected, explored, and celebrated. Black Radical Queer is a main hustle media podcast hosted by Javier Nicole, produced and edited by Charmaine Johnson. Music is by Publicity. You can find us on social media by looking up Black Rat Queer. It's B-L-K-R-A-D-Q-W-R. We are on um, Facebook as well as Instagram and Twitter. Same handle regardless at Black Rat Queer. B-L-K-R-A-D-Q-W-R. We also have a Facebook discussion group that's just called BRQ Discussion Group. And you can also listen wherever you get your podcast. So we're on iTunes, we're on Spotify, Google Play, you know, all those types of things. And we have, you know, our home base that's on Lipson. So you can listen on there as well. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. Make sure you come on back around next week to see uh, what we have for you. And all right, y'all, I'm out. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.